Right, welcome to the Glasgow Triathlon Club podcast. We have got a podiatrist, an osteopath, and a physiotherapist. And it sounds like the start of a bad joke, but it's not. <laughs> We're going to talk about biomechanics, which is very exciting and very interesting, and you do need to know about it. So stick with us. We've got Keenan Canny, who um, is the director and um, podiatrist at the Foot Medic. We've got Linda Canning, who's the founder um, and osteopath at Tall Trees, osteopaths in Aberfoyle. And we've got Johnny, who you've heard before, Johnny Kilpatrick, um, who's the founder of PhysioFit and is a physiotherapist specialising in sport. So can I ask you all to tell me a little bit about yourselves and what you do? Um, Kieran, I'll ask you first because we'll go in alphabetical order. Already. Um, well, I'm the director of Footmedic. Uh, Footmedic's an MSK specialist foot and ankle treatment centre. Um, and we cater for all types of foot and ankle problems, whether that's mechanical um, or whether it's pathological. So it's a whole spectrum from uh, young, active people, sports people, right through to the older generation and trying to keep them mobile. Cool, thank you. And Linda? Uh, I'm Linda Canning and I'm an osteopath and movement teacher um, based out in Aberfoyle now. Um, I've been doing it for quite a long time. I use um, a lot of I use a lot of movement in my practice, and um, I really like, especially treating people with chronic injuries, complex injuries, things like that. Cool. Thank you very much. And then um, Johnny. Hi, I'm Johnny Kilpatrick. I'm one of the directors at Physio Effect here in Glasgow. Uh, we run a, a general physiotherapy clinic treating most most injuries or pains, and I, in particular, have a specialisation in sports. So a good, good portion of my caseload is sports, um, and more recently, runners. Cool. Okay, okay. So... Um, I kind of want to let you fight over answering this question, um, but we're going to talk about biomechanics today. So um, when Johnny was last on our podcast, we kind of briefly touched on biomechanics and we thought it might be interesting to have a further conversation about it. Um, a, a quick Google tells me that biomechanics is the science of movement of a living body, including how muscles, bones, tendons and ligaments work together to produce movement. How exciting. Um, yes it is exciting (laughs) Um, so I thought it might be interesting just to hear kind of um, how what you guys think about biomechanics like how you um, how you would define it and especially like thinking about your practice so I'll let Kieran go first Um, I'm I'm really proud that my non-scripted answer from Google is quite close to what it's look in my opinion it's just the, the simply the study of, of movement in relation to anatomical function okay. so that, that's really what we're interested in but I think we have to be really careful when we talk about biomechanics and gait assessment because it's talked about a lot mm-hmm. um, and and I think it's far more important that we understand why we're doing it um, because often we're asked for to carry out these assessments or people want us to assess their biomechanics and sometimes there really isn't any underlying issue or pathology so mm-hmm. you, by all means it's, it's quite interesting for them but I, I kind of want to understand why what is it I'm trying to establish what is it I'm trying to look for um, so sometimes people come in and I'll ask for uh, orthotics for example because they want to correct their foot position or they mm-hmm. want to cure 
overpronation, and uh, I go to great length to try and explain to people that sometimes these things are actually normal. Pronation is normal, mm -hmm. and it's just beyond the realms of that. Or if it becomes pathological, then that's when we're interested to try and remedy something. Yeah, um, that's basically. So if we just uh, the assessment of the way that we move. Yeah. Um, and would you agree mm -hmm. with that, Linda? Yes, I would also maybe add that. Do we move with ease? Mm -hmm. Do we transmit and communicate forces across the body with ease? Yeah. So um, that's what I try and assess. And normally come, people come to me with pain, pain that they've had for a long time. Yeah. Um, and so it's really stripping back the onion layers and the complexity that is the human body. Yeah. To figure out why this person is in pain where they are. Yeah. And often the painful area is not actually the issue. Mm -hmm. um, people that come to me, you know, and, and most people probably is, um, it's a global issue. And that's what I try and unravel using various movement techniques and assessments. Okay, that makes sense. And mm -hmm. what do you think, Johnny? Is that along similar lines as a physiotherapist? Yeah, I, th I think the guys have pretty much covered everything that I would have said there. You know, I, I use it quite a lot to assess somebody's, like they come into me with an injury, I'm looking at how their biomechanics or movement control in that given situation is likely causing the injury or affecting it. Um, sometimes with runners, I do get people in that are looking to just sort of optimize uh, and make things a little bit more efficient. And that's potentially a, a, a separate assessment altogether. But no, I think Kieran and Linda nailed that there. That's, yeah. that's, that's how I would uh, view biomechanics and cool. uh, can't, can't add much. Okay, so one thing I just wanted to clarify um, today is that we're going to focus specifically on running biomechanics because um, I think we've kind of covered swimming in our last podcast and cycling is slight, slightly different um, kettle of fish and we'll maybe deal with that in another podcast as well. But I want to really um, throw out the room um, and ask why our triathlete listeners uh, should be interested in their biomechanics and how they run. Is it something they should be concerned about? Is it something they should be thinking about? Um, I'll open that up. I'm happy to take that one, Kate. Okay. So from a running perspective, uh, biomechanics are extremely important. Uh, if you land yourself with an injury, uh, most running injuries are likely caused uh, from overuse uh, and Potentially, outside of training errors, that's likely to be uh, poor biomechanics or performance of running itself. Okay. Uh, they're also going to be very important, uh, like how you run in terms of optimizing and making yourself more efficient. So running faster um, and better, I guess. Okay. Anyone else? Yeah, absolutely. I would completely agree with that. And um, also, you know, if you've ever had... I think the people, the things that I see quite often is um, if someone comes in with a running injury, then I'll ask a lot about what's happened to them in the past. And often what comes up is a previous injury that has not been properly rehabilitated. Okay. That is now affecting the biomechanics. So if you're restricted in any part of the body, something else has to compensate for that. Yeah. Um, and you want to run with ease, you want to spring along, you want to not have to really think about it. And if you've got good biomechanics, then you can achieve that level of ease when you're running. Okay, that makes sense. Kieran, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's no doubt in my mind that anybody who's 
competing in sport or or or, or, or um, triathlons at a, as a, at a reasonable level. Um, having an understanding of their biomechanics will help them understand their bodies and help them understand their limitations and their abilities and mm -hmm. I think understanding biomechanics as Johnny said it can prevent injury really yeah. if, um, and also enhance the recovery and assist in strength training so if you understand what it is they're trying to achieve through a particular exercise regime or a, or a program then you know the knowledge being the power they can actually you know obtain those goals better yeah um, or faster and I think it helps uh, identify causes of pain and fatigue um, but I, I think personally we rarely see it in isolation. It's just like Linda said, history, I think above all else as part of your biomechanical assessment is the most mm -hmm. telling part of it. You, the person will tell you what's wrong yeah. nine mm -hmm. times out of ten. It's just up to us then to try, sort of strip that back a wee bit. Interpret it. And I think one thing, again, that Johnny um, brought up was just about the potential for increasing your performance. And I think... I think like as triathletes that is something that we're really interested in and we do like we plateau a lot you know we get to the point where it's hard to make big gains or we start aging and things start <laughs> going a bit south um, but I suppose we've got we do have the potential to make little corrections even if we've been moving the same way for 40 years then we can move a bit better can't we we can learn to move a bit better certainly can um i think even from improvement of performance kate if you're not if you're not injured you're likely to accumulate more training and more consistency which is which is obviously going to improve your performance in running yeah that makes absolute sense <laughs> i think too what you've just said there, kate is that you've been moving the same for 40 years mm -hmm. um actually that's that's sometimes part of the problem too, mm -hmm. um, is when we move the same way all the time. We don't have that adaptability in our body yeah. to then cope with the increase in training that we put on our bodies yeah. because we're just not adaptable to it. Um, and so that's when things like practicing yoga and Pilates or whatever else it is that you're, you're into, that, that kind of uh, body-mind connection where you are stretching and loading and doing the kind of smaller movements to move a bit differently yeah. is, um, is important too. Mm -hmm. uh, that makes sense. I'm, I'm always quite careful, I don't know if Johnny and Linda would agree, I'm always quite careful when people come in and they'll say, I want to do gait retraining, I want to become a forward striker mm -hmm. and I want to change the way that I run mm -hmm. and I'm very, very careful <clears throat> people want to change dynamically um, the way that they run like that. Subtle changes, uh, I think, can make people more efficient if we can engage the gluteal muscles more and become a more upright, more efficient runner. But I think sometimes people can be quite um, prone to kind of following trends or they'll see it, they'll see someone perhaps running in a race that has, is faster than them, so they start to try and mimic them, mm -hmm. whether they're a different um, race or a different age or you know different genetic makeup um and then they try and emulate that and sometimes i, I always just i'm quite cautious when people come in with that expectation yeah i think you're right there kieran um, being a podiatrist i'm sure you experienced a lot of people deciding they wanted to barefoot run and and forefoot run a few years ago and uh, for some of them it was a, a disaster yeah. yes thank you yeah. johnny <laughs> <laughs> I should clarify at this point that I've literally seen every single person that we're interviewing today for pretty much that exact reason. <laughs> the 
it really helped. Like changing my gait from a personal point of view, changing my gait really helped my pelvis. Like it, I, I spent a huge amount of time reprogramming the way I moved and my gait. I went from a heel striker to forefoot striker. And I mm-hmm. did completely fix my pelvis doing that. However, I did end up seeing Kieran and Johnny's colleague Danny with stress fractures. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I can concur. <laughs> but I think in your case, you had quite a complex problem. And also that shock attenuation, if you had that extended leg and all of that shock was reverberating straight up into your pelvis. So mm-hmm. by coming forward a bit, you'd probably just a bit more. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah, I've ha- I think I've had this conversation with um, Johnny and maybe Linda as well about um, uh, that. It, yeah, it can be very beneficial. You just have to be a bit more. Um, you have to do it slowly and with help from people like you th- three, other than just trying to do it by yourself, don't you? When you're trying to assess your biomechanics, it's kind of impossible to do it yourself, right? You need. Yeah. Yeah. You need a professional to have a look at you. Yeah. You want to go and do an ultra marathon with stress fracture. Um, that's that's always highly mm-hmm. recommended. Well, I did a, I did a half Ironman with a stress fracture, as you know, Kieran, <laughs> <laughs> and it ended it ended well <laughs> with a broken foot. What a surprise! <laughs> Look, let's get away from that. <laughs> let's get let's get back on track. Shaming me for my poor biomechanics. Um, okay, so uh, moving on from that, can we talk a little bit about um, like some of the common problems that you all see? Because I would imagine that you probably see quite different um, problems in the clinic. I may be wrong, but I'd be interested to hear a little bit about um, yeah some of the sort of common biomechanical problems that you'll see when people come in. Well, for me, um, the most the most common thing I see. So I see a lot of low back pain. A lot of um, hip pain, sort of piriformacy, overuse injuries, um, and and a lot of that is down to a previous injury. So um, I would say nine times out of ten, people that come to me with one-sided low back pain, they have uh, really badly sprained their ankle or knee twenty years ago, um, and that has created issues that has led up to this niggly low back that just flares up every twice every you know once twice a year and um and they and they try and get it fixed by the likes of myself but um so yeah that's a very common one for me that they've 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 just not rehabbed their foot and integrated it back into their pelvis so that the two work together yeah that's quite important isn't it that our body works works together very important very important the body has to work together for for efficient movement and pain-free movement and then how will you assess them linda how will you assess people's biomechanics so if they they came in and said i've got a really sore back would you Mm. immediately think okay i need to see you move and then how how would you do that yeah so um i look at their their general movements how well can they move their spine in all three in all three directions so forward and back flexion extension side to side side flexion and rotation Mm -hmm. um um, i'll look at them just walking up and down um in my little studio yeah uh, see how how they pronate how they re-supinate how their legs rotate pelvis how does that move in relation to their thorax are they able to um connect their legs pelvis and thorax together um and then i'll maybe look at someone's squat or lunge i'll definitely look at single leg balance that's really important yeah. Um, and further up the chain, I might even look at a simple wall press to see how their shoulder blades 
are working with their pelvis and maybe do that on a single leg as well. And you can see a lot from that. Um, and yeah, so any restricted area that I find, I'll work with um, that to loosen it up. I would back that up with exercises for them to loosen it up themselves and then figure out exercises for them specifically that they can work on to then uh, rehabilitate whatever it is that I found on that day. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that makes sense. all sorts sense. of things. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you've got quite um, like a, na a natural, I don't know if that's the right word, but like a sort of natural holistic way of looking at people's biomechanics. Um, Thank you. That's that's really nice to hear. Do you know I've I've actually learned a lot. So, um, especially from a company called Gems J E M S, mm -hmm. and I have to I have to mention them because about nine years ago I learned um, from them, and it really did change the way I practice and the way I assess. And um, it's really really helped me with my Pilates practice. And I'm also now doing a another movement course, which is really exciting too. But mm -hmm. Joanne Elphinstone Movement Systems. Um, uh, okay. I don't know whether you guys have heard of them, um, but they are amazing. Cool. And and they've really broken down the fundamental movements that are needed for everybody. Yeah. Whether you are an elderly person who wants to go and pick up their shopping, or if you're a triathlete, these fundamental movements are really important to assess. And often you'll get uh, a really, you know, an ultra runner yeah. who can't stand on one leg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't got a leg to stand on. Um, and they have then created these amazing strategies, creating huge tensions within their body um, and wondered why they have a really tense low back. Um, so unraveling all that, I, I just love working with that kind of thing. But it's really down to the, the gems, uh, obviously osteopathic principles too, but certainly gems and um, the Pilates and movement stuff that I, I love to teach okay. as well. That's so fascinating. And I feel like that's really relevant for swimming. I think when people listen to this, mm -hmm. they'll be able to um, sort of relate that to their swimming because we, we talk, I think personally, we probably talk a lot more in detail about swimming technique than we do about running technique. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think people can probably relate to that more where they feel like they've they've just moved a certain way swimming just to compensate for something else. And mm -hmm. it leads to just a whole other... And it's, it's mm -hmm. uh, some, you know, for, for I think for coaches, it's quite obvious in swimming. It's probably more obvious than it is when you look at somebody running or cycling. So I think, yeah, I can, <laughs> people will be able to relate to that. Uh, perfect. Okay, who's next? Who wants to who wants to tell me about um, their assessment? Well, uh, we there's <clears throat> there's four or five problems that we see really, really commonly every week. Um, I just made a short list. Um, I won't talk about pronation. We've already, I've already said how um, over pronation isn't really a thing, yeah. unless it's pathological. So we we'll cast that mm -hmm. to one side. But what, one of the things we see a lot is first ray dysfunction. So when we talk about first ray in the foot, we talk about the big toe joint or the first uh, metatarsophalangeal yeah. joint, and it's really, really um, common to have early changes in these joints, particularly in people who are really active. Mm -hmm. So the joint's tiny. It's a tiny joint. And it, when we talk about forces, you put about five tons of force on average to that joint every day. Yeah. So it's reasonable to expect throughout someone's lifetime it would change really quickly. But it's such an important joint as you push yourself forward and and, and toe off and that that major lever that when it doesn't work properly you'll you'll immediately compensate for that. So we'll see a lot of ankle related problems. We'll see extended periods of knee flexion and then the associated hip flexion. So people can almost become quite Z shaped 
because yeah. of dysfunction in their big toe. Um, so if we're able to free that up, or if we can't free it up, use therapeutics like maybe a joint lubricant or or a, a manual therapist to try and get that toe moving again properly. Um, so we can free up a lot of proximal problems by doing that. Um, but I mean, there's there's four or five problems that we see a lot, a lot. Um, but particularly it would be in runners, the things that would concern runners would be the weak glutes that everybody mm -hmm. always talks about, but most people's glutes are weak. ITB issues, hip flexors, um, things like that's what we'll look for. But I don't know, Johnny and Linda, I'm not sure, whenever you trained, we did an awful lot of measuring of angles <laughs> at university and, you know, the Q angles and everything had to be prescriptive, you know, it had to be 45 degrees or if, it, or if it wasn't 30 degrees, it wasn't normal. And I've really moved away from that with just being in practice that there's kind of a spectrum of normalcy and mm -hmm. there's things that are very abnormal, but then there's th th people are kind of on a spectrum of what they're able to do. Um, and then when you take a look at the bigger picture, I'm not really concerned whether it's 15 degrees or or 16 degrees, you know. Um, I'm not sure if you guys would agree with that. But. Yeah, I probably would. I, I tend to eyeball it and uh, video things and use a lot of video feedback with the patients. And you can just intuitively tell what looks right with a lot of things rather than getting bogged down in the, the detail of a few degrees here and there. Um, Keenan, is there anything else that you guys see a lot of? You see a lot of stress fractures and things as well, don't you? We do. Um, we'll see a lot of soft tissue uh, problems as well. We will mm -hmm. see stress fractures for sure. They can be quite um, malign sometimes because uh -huh. they can masquerade as different things. It's quite hard just clinically um, um, differentiating that from other things. There's so many other problems that will happen in the forefoot, for example, mm -hmm. that um, having medical imaging to hand is really helpful for that because it helps rule out a lot of things very quickly for people. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's all the standard stuff, you know, uh, plantar fascia pain, plantar heel pain, mm -hmm. um, Achilles problems, yeah. perineal problems, we'll get the whole, the whole range. And you and Johnny both have, like, you both use um, videos, don't you, um, on treadmills to film people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and have a look at how they run, don't you? And Johnny's, yeah, Johnny's definitely. Oh, no, on your go, uh, I would say not with every patient. Yeah. So sometimes when people see the camera set up, everybody wants to have a go on it. And, yeah. uh, and I used to do that because I think it was going through the motions um, as a clinician. But really, I reserve the video analysis for the more obscure things. Um, so if it's a big problem, it's going to be really obvious, yeah. um, in, in my opinion. And, and if I'm having to look a wee bit closer, having to slow things down very slowly, yeah. then it's just a wee bit more obscure. Okay. That makes sense. And then Johnny's got, um, you guys have got your new um, running assessment tools, don't you, which I have tried, and they are very fancy, and they tell you lots of data, not all of which I understand. <laughs> <laughs> not all of which I understand yet, I guess. Can <laughs> <laughs> you tell us about those? Yeah, so uh, if I could even just go back to the last question about what yeah. most commonly seen, it overlaps a lot with uh, just what Kieran had said there, and, and Linda for that matter. Um, single leg control is the biggest, the biggest problem that I see in runners. Uh, so that could be, as Linda was saying, the, like an ultra runner that struggles to stand on one leg, mm -hmm. or it could be much more dynamic, such as during during when they're running we're, we're seeing um like a medial collapse or like a collapse towards the inside of their knee uh 
or or towing in on the the midline as they're running, which would call crossover. Mm-hmm. But uh, I tend to see a one-sided problem, and that that could end up giving issues just about anywhere on that limb or further down the line, somewhere else on up the spine, as Linda's uh, alluded to. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I tend to tend to show show them that um, if I do use a treadmill, so that they can see it, yeah, and, and then cue them with that and give them visual feedback of that again to try and correct it in practice. Okay. Mm. Um, okay. Yeah, tell me about your tell me about your pods. So we've got we're combining pods for an outdoor run, which gives us single leg data off each leg. Um, lots, lots of different metrics there. So it's given us um, cadence, which is steps per minute. Yeah. And then it's also given us uh, all of the forces going through each each foot. Okay. Um, so impact G forces, um, overall impact forces, uh, medial, lateral, uh, pron- like pronations and yeah. all sorts of things like that. But um, we can tie that in with the, the videos when we're looking at them on the treadmill. Um, yeah. So if they do have a one-sided problem, we can kind of see where that's relevant in terms of the forces and try to try to work on that. Okay. And are you having people coming to you for further run analysis? Have you found that most people who are coming to you are already injured or they've been plagued with injuries or is it, are you finding it just people are curious? I'd say as a just total guess, two thirds are are recurring injuries yeah. um, and, and I, myself or one of my colleagues has had a word with them and said look let, let's go to the root cause of this which seems to be the running mm-hmm. and, and see if there's something in your running that's causing all these one-sided issues okay. um, and then one third is just people that are curious to see how they're running and if there's anything that could be doing a bit better okay um, and yeah, I think that like they're really fascinating. Those pods, it definitely, I've, I've tried them as I said, and it definitely um, sent me away. Well, you sent me away with some stuff to work on, particularly <laughs> quite a lot to work on. <laughs> um, but yeah, it definitely uh, gives you good feedback in terms of what your body's actually doing. Yeah. I think I think yeah, for a lot of us, we don't really know what our body does. We just go and like do it and hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, the, the the good thing about them is someone can head outside and they're they're getting a 15, 20 minute run, so it's given us a good consistent picture of how they're running. Uh-huh. Because, you know, to some extent a lot of people aren't actually used to a treadmill and it's it's a bit like that sort of white coat syndrome when you're getting tests at the doctors it can throw up slightly anonymous or sorry anomalous results and mm-hmm. um, so we we'll try to tie the two together yeah, the knowledge is really useful for for getting people's um if i say buy-in but to, to kind of get your patient on board with what you're what you're trying to explain to them because a lot of these pictures like uh, force pressure studies are very visual so we might see something and I'll try and explain that to someone, but when I can show you a picture of what's actually happening or a graph of what's happening, mm-hmm. all of a sudden your your understanding is enhanced, so therefore you're really engaged with the treatment plan much, much more <coughs> than me just taking, you're just having to take my word for it. Yeah. That's what you find in there. See, I don't have any fancy gadgets, so um, <laughs> I really like to... Um, I, really, I do video people, especially if they can't feel it, so... I'll ask, them, I'll ask them their feedback as to how they feel, for instance, from side to side. How does their foot feel when they land? it lands on the floor from right to left? How can they compare the two? Normally they say, no, I have no idea. I can't feel my feet. Mm-hmm. So then I record them. I give them feedback. 
and then they can see it, they can sense it, and it's improving that body awareness, that proprioception in some way. And there's so many other techniques that we can do in the studio as well with spiky balls and um, various activation exercises that can improve their proprioception. And then when they go to go and walk again or maybe run again, they can feel, okay, this is what I need to do with my foot to put less pressure on my um, whatever fifth met head or, or whatever it is. So I just try and I just try and get people very aware and improve the proprioception because that is the key thing, underlying key thing is improving someone's proprioception. Because you mentioned before, Kate, that you don't most people don't know what they're doing with their body. Yeah, and, that, and that's that's very true. Um, <laughs> so it's trying to bring aware, around that awareness and improve that proprioception, which does make us realize how we're using our body. And when mm-hmm. we know that, we can change it. We can give ourselves options. Yeah, and I know that you use a mirror as well, don't you, uh, Linda? I've seen you use a yes, mirror. Yes, um, people really don't like looking at it. No. <laughs> but it's really helpful, right? Like, that's it's why really there's helpful. mirrors in the gym as well, like, so you can yeah. actually see what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so I want to just talk a little bit about, um, like, I, I do want to talk about footwear, and we have touched on footwear but I would quite like to do that a wee bit after because that is always the question that you see and I see it on run forums all the time. Should we be changing our footwear? What shoes do you recommend? Um, so we'll talk about that. But first of all, should we change our biomechanics? Let's say we've come to you, we've come to one of you, we're aware of how we're moving. Should we be changing them? Like, is it something that anyone should be worried about or should we, maybe not worried about, but is it something that should be on our minds? We've talked about how it can increase performance and... Um, decrease the risk of injury but you know if nothing's broken then should we be looking at fixing it what do you think who's going first silence <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to go here so it, it it depends on who they are and what they're what they're looking for you know if somebody's getting repetitive one-sided injuries and you're pretty sure they've got a biomechanical problem when they're running per se you'd be well advised to fix that um, if they're not getting any issues as Kieran had said earlier it's you could actually cause some issues changing it and uh, they'll not thank you for that no. <laughs> um, and if it's an elite level athlete and you're maybe going for that extra one percent mm-hmm. uh, and they feel like they've been plateauing for a long time it, it might well be worth the punt of changing something subtly just to see if it gets them there but it, it all just depends on the circumstances of who's in front of you and what their goals are. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. If you look at some of the world's most elite athletes, um, and if you looked at them from a biomechanical point of view, mm-hmm. they're absolutely horrendous, but they are some of the world's most elite athletes. So, you yeah. know, I, who would interfere with that? And I totally agree with John. If there's an issue, by all means, or, or a recurring problem, or a tissue stress, or a fatigue, Strength and conditioning, I would say, is probably the number one thing that anybody can do to prevent uh, injury, to optimise tissue load and, and your capacity. Um, but I think over and above everything else, just to, and Linda touched on it, is to always, always rehab properly. And I think people tend to rehab to the point where the pain has subsided and then they believe that they're cured. And there's a whole series of things that will continue to need to be done after that to put that tissue back the way that it was and very very few people will do that and that's when they'll end up with these recurring injuries and these glass ankles as we call them these weak ankles Mm -hmm. and it's just because they were never rehabbed properly to begin with Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the classic with that, Kieran's introducing speed work and plyometrics at the end stage of, say, an, uh, an overused tendon, like an, an Achilles or something. Mm-hmm. And do you agree, Linda? Yes, yes, I agree. I think if you are running with ease and you are comfortable and pain-free, then yeah, then you don't really need to be concerned about your biomechanics. Um, if you're having recurrent issues or feeling uncomfortable when you're running or you have niggles, then maybe it's a good idea to get get just get checked out. Um, even to put your mind at ease, it's quite nice to, to know what you're doing really well as well as um, anything else. Yeah, so th- that's a really good point, and and like we re- we respond to positive feedback, don't we? Absolutely. We re- that's that's what motivates us. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it is like when you go and see somebody, like one of you three, you will probably point out some of the things that we're doing poorly. <laughs> I will always very much try and point out things that people are doing well, that that, that person's doing well. Absolutely. <laughs> positive reinforcement (laughs) (laughs) but I think that's really key because I think we can get we can get too caught up can't we in what we're doing wrong and I certainly know I have when because I've had recurring injuries uh, I definitely have had got fallen into that trap of going down the rabbit hole of all the things I'm doing wrong and not actually focusing on the things that I'm doing right I think that's quite common especially in triathletes because we are kind of perfectionists you know we want to do well And there's there's other stuff around about biomechanics as well. There's the um, like with with people with, with recurring chronic injuries, you've got the complexities of chronic pain to consider as well, and the emotional side of things and previous trauma, both physically and mentally, that need to be considered too when when there's pain. But um, if there's no pain and you're doing well, then keep going. Yeah, and I, okay, I I kind of had made a little note here about saying, are we overthinking things? And I do wonder if sometimes we, like, I don't know, as professionals we overthink things or as triathletes we overthink things. Um, I don't know. What do you guys Just think? Breathe. Yeah. Just breathe. We're, yeah, we're, we're, we're in an age of inf- information that allows us to overthink everything. Yeah. Go down the rabbit hole, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right, so can we talk about footwear? Because it is just such a... People are so passionate about footwear and... Um, like you just see it on every forum there's just always a big debate about footwear and what you should be doing and most people that I like most of my clients will come to me and tell me that they overpronate and therefore they need a shoe to correct that um Mm. is that true should we be worried about our footwear what should we be running in you all have different opinions on this Okay, so you need pronation. <laughs> you need pronation for everything else in the kinetic chain going up the leg, up into the pelvis, up into the thorax to happen. You need segmental uh, mobility and dynamic stability, and you do need pronation. Now, you need pronation, but you also need to come out of it as well. You need to what's called supinate. You need to re-supinate once you've pronated. Um, and there's a series of events that need to occur up the leg when you when you walk, and pronation is very much part of that. Important. Okay. Um, when it comes to footwear, oh, it's a bit of a minefield. I think <laughs> um, I have many different types of trainers. I really like barefoot um, shoes. I love my Vivo barefoot shoes for walking. Um, I personally really, I, I'm not comfortable in really cushioned shoes when I'm when I'm walking. Um, but when it comes to running, yes, I'll wear a, a, a just a neutral trainer because that's all I need. Um, 
But it does take many pairs of trainers to find ones that really fit and are perfect and are comfortable because there's just so much, so much choice out there. Yeah. Johnny, you, I think you kind of agree with that, if I remember our conversations correctly, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely do. There's so many choices. I think, firstly, you want the most comfortable shoe, so it needs to fit your forefoot. Um, you get a lot of people squeezing into shoes that are far too tight for them. That's going to definitely alter how they're, how they're going to run, because it's going to be slightly uncomfortable. Um, that would be the first thing. Uh, and then... I don't think you should overthink footwear too much, but if you're, say, a four-foot runner and you're really running on your toes, I don't see the value in you being in a really built-up shoe that's got loads of midfoot and rear-foot cushioning. Mm-hmm. So you might want to then start to match it to your style of running, which I know is hard for the individual to determine that. But if you look at, say, the, the Nike, I'm not sure what the latest iteration of it is, but the shoe, the shoe that everybody's setting records in and winning races... If you look at how that's built, it's 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 got an exceptionally springy foam in the midfoot. You'll see most of the elite level runners are likely midfoot runners, um, and as they fatigue, they'll probably end up on the rear foot, slightly overstriding. Uh, and you'll notice at the back of that shoe, it's got almost a big paddle at the back that's just foam, and that'll allow them to overstride without <laughs> sort of the consequence of injury. Mm-hmm. With the big stack height in that shoe and a curved um, carbon fibre plate, uh, that'll guide them from the rear of that shoe straight to toe off. So that would be, you know, that would be thinking about footwear from a performance point of view. Okay. But I think for for your everyday athlete, um, just run in what's most comfortable. And most people will go through many pairs of shoes in their lifetime. Um, I don't think... Uh, particular pair of shoes are likely on their own to cause you an injury i think you you know possibly training errors alongside that um but you'll certainly get a an idea if a pair of shoes are uncomfortable and you should maybe start thinking about another pair at that point okay and keenan you and i've had some great debates about shoes haven't we yeah well it's just like like i said it is a minefield but i think every athlete needs to be aware of the trends and the fads bear in mind that every time you open a magazine or runner's world or you're visiting a website someone will be trying to sell you something mm-hmm. and there are concepts available to shoe manufacturers they're very easy concepts to sell shoes yeah. based on on those concepts if you take look at the even look at the last sort of five years we've been from minimalist barefoot we've gone to maximalist with the hoka um we've got now got carbon fiber in the vaporfly 4.0 or or whatever point it is just now but so there's um, rocket launcher shoes, there's booster packs, there's the <laughs> <laughs> megaphones, the you know uh, midfoot cushioning, uh, high toe spring and rocker sole shoes. So I think there's something for everybody. I think is the answer. Yeah. But there isn't mm-hmm. a shoe that we should all gravitate towards, and that's the shoe that will make everybody faster. Mm-hmm. Bearing in mind as well mm-hmm. that the Nike Vaporfly is is an elite running shoe. And mm-hmm. Most of people that I encounter are not elite athletes. So I think that they will then go and try and emulate that runner like we talked about earlier on by trying to buy the same shorts, the same shoes and they can't find themselves going any faster. So I think being aware of fads. The other thing about, about the corrective shoe and the antipronatory shoe, we talked about neutral and mm-hmm. a wee bit earlier on, that concept is uh, based on a biomechanical concept uh, by Root, uh, Root Orion and Weed came up with this concept of subtalar neutral. Now, the, that has really been debunked 
over the last few years, but that has never made it self known to the footwear industry. <laughs> so, from uh, I know certainly from a, a podiatry uh, point of view, we really don't follow that. We don't subscribe to that model anymore. Okay. Um, it was all based on a study done by uh, Chris Nestor from Salford University, I think probably 10 or 12 years ago, when he did the bone pin study, where they drilled uh, bone pins into live people. So I think he had to go to Switzerland, I think, to get oh, the ethics geez, oh. And they did 3D gate analysis on um, these subjects with uh, bone pins sticking out of their feet. And that was the first time that we'd ever really appreciated what was actually happening inside the foot. Up until that point, it was all based on assumptions, based on what Root had said. So this theory had come up in the sort of 60s and 70s about this was the ideal. It was, it was perfect if the subtalar joint was in a neutral, uh, you know, vertical alignment. And Chris Nestor didn't see any subtalar joints that were in a vertical, upright, neutral alignment in all of the subjects that they looked at. So he kind of debunked that Root theory with one study, mm -hmm. but it never, ever, ever made its way into the industry. And the reason being is because it's a very easy concept to show people, well, if you roll in that way, you need that shoe. And if you roll it that way, you need that shoe. Mm -hmm. And if you're somewhere in the middle, just get a neutral. And people can understand that. Yeah. So it's a very easy thing for people to sell shoes on. I would say, what uh, Johnny was saying, the feeling that you have when you put the shoe on will determine whether you like that shoe or not. Yeah. Regardless of what science they claim to put in it. And I can tell you from a friend of mine who's in, uh, in the industry, as a podiatry consultant in a, in a footwear manufacturer, that very often this, the science is kind of the last thing that's addressed in a lot of these big, big manufacturers. They want to know how much is it going to cost to manufacture, where the material source from, what color is it going to be, who's the target market, what countries is it available, does it work? And he'll often say, well, no, it doesn't really work. And they say, well, that's fine, we're going to make it anyway. Yeah. So, um, for example, if you take a, I don't know, I'm looking around the clinic, say a Brooks, a Brooks trainer uh, from this year, and you'll see it promoted in Runner's World. It's going to be the, this amazing super foam. It's got this mad EVA thing. And cut it open, and it'll be very, very, very similar to the Brooks from three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. So that's why I know, just, just to be aware of like passing trends, that the, overall, some of these stay, the shoes that have been around for a long time don't change a lot, not on the inside. Okay, interesting. Um, okay. And yeah, I think I, I've had this conversation. In fact, I think I've had this conversation with all of you at some point over the um, course of the year um, or two years or however long I've been coming to either, either one of you for something that I've done. Um, just about, um, yeah, like ro rotate, rotating your shoes and just, just changing them. Linda, you mm -hmm. mentioned that about um, how you like to do that. And I do think that's something to think about as well, isn't it? In terms of just how you use your feet and how you use your feet muscles and challenging them a little bit because we we you know we grow muscle or we we strengthen our muscle and bone when we um uh put it under stress don't we so it is in theory a good thing to use our feet differently on different days mm -hmm. yeah depending on what you're doing and like the guys say as long as you're comfortable doing it but i think for me i think um you know, everybody talks about, like Kieran says, about strengthening groups and the core and inverted commas and um, I'm kind of rolling my eyes a little bit that, but um, but people neglect their feet yeah. and they don't really tend to strengthen or mobilise their feet or their calves. And I think if people did that, they wouldn't necessarily worry about their shoes so much. 
Okay, yeah. <laughs> and it is like, I suppose it's not the most, um, it's not the most sexy thing to do, is it? Uh, do some feet exercises. What? <laughs> I love, I love feet. I love <laughs> looking at feet and exercising feet and looking after feet. I think they're really, they're fascinating, fascinating structures. Kieran, you must agree with me. You guys are they disgusting. Are the most complex <laughs> appendages of our bodies. <laughs> <laughs> but Kate, the other, the really good thing to do. You talked about rotating your shoes. I also rotate your um, surfaces. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. If you're mm -hmm. if you're an athlete, you're trying to get stronger. Run on gravel, run on sand, run on grass, run on the road, but don't get stuck on one surface. Yeah. Or in the same direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's really tempting, I think, like especially when you're like um, motivated by speed, and if you have all your watch and your Strava, it's really tempting to stick to stick to the one surface, isn't it? To stick to road because you know you'll get a good fast time, you'll get a good average speed. So yeah, Kieran, one thing I wanted to talk about, um, which again, I know you and I have talked about in the past, is orthotics. Um, and we've had a bit of a chat about that off the record, <laughs> all of us. Um, but can we talk a little bit about orthotics? Can you tell me um, when, you, when we need to use them, why we need to use them, how long we need to use them for? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So not all orthotics are life sentences. You don't have to wear them forever. Sometimes mm -hmm. they can be transitional. It would all depend on what the problem is and why you have them. Um, but a bit like the footwear that we talked about, there's a whole range of materials, of stiffnesses and prescriptions that we can use. And sometimes even as a clinician, it can be quite confusing for me. So what we tend to do is you'll find clinicians that are dealing a lot with orthotics, they'll tend to have the same two or three types of devices that we'll use because mm -hmm. that's the ones that we trust and then new things will come in the market and um, you know that may change but I mean essentially people sometimes ask about is a custom made device better than a, a prefabricated device it's certainly more expensive and really and truly the, the truth of the matter is there is no uh, statistical benefit to having something custom made versus prefab mm -hmm. the effect the clinical effect is very very similar unless you're trying to make very small adjustments so by and large we can achieve a lot of things through a prefab what we do find is that the custom made devices are better accepted by the patient so um, we they may be, be more expensive and they may be just as effective as, as a cheaper device mm -hmm. but we find that the custom made devices will fit better in a shoe for example because they're lower volume the materials tend to be thinner and they tend to be more comfortable not more effective but they tend to be more comfortable if they're custom made um, but they are not by any means magical and I think I'm always always cautious when I'm talking about orthotics to patients that they think that if I get this piece of plastic that's hundreds of pounds and all my pain will go away. Mm -hmm. I say, absolutely not. That's not the case. They're a tool, one of the tools that we would use, and they will work best when we marry them up along with some kind of therapeutic intervention or some form of strengthening and rehabilitation. But on their own, and I think we, podiatry, and I will admit, had kind of the whole profession had fallen foil of this for about 20 mm -hmm. years. We get into the habit of everybody got orthotics and that was all you ever needed to do. And it's only working alongside like we are having this conversation this evening alongside other professionals and trying to understand better what else could be done and and i think that's where we've become certainly in this clinic as effective as we can be or more effective than our profession has tr traditionally been so we will very very rarely give them an isolation and we get better effects when we manage it with mm -hmm. either shockwave therapy um, maybe some manual therapies or joint manipulation, strength and conditioning, and even some of the more radical therapies like uh, joint injections or PRP or steroids, 
and these types of things. It just if we're trying to offload a particular structure, the device is really, really good at doing that. But we, but again, going back to the assessment, we've got to understand why. Yeah. What is it we're trying to achieve with this device? So for the layperson, what we're saying is really like if you cut, if you, like for example, if you have plantar fasciitis and it's really, really, really painful to walk on, then maybe an orthotic would help to offload that for a while whilst you can work on the rest of the program. Is that am I understanding that right? Yeah, in the most simplest terms, the orthotic yeah. will fill the empty space underneath your foot, which will lessen the tension on the medial longitudinal arch, which should it prevent the plantar fascia from stretching so much. So it kind of puts the tissue in a position where it can heal. Mm -hmm. Basically, that's what we're trying to do. But on its own, it's unlikely to work as well. So for someone like that, I think, depending if it was if it's in trauma thing or if it's been there for a while, but if we do some pro-inflammatory treatment into that plantar fascia and give it some time off on mm -hmm. the orthotic, then you're going to have a better outcome. Um, and Linda and Johnny, do you see, because I, I certainly see as a PT, and I'm, I'm sure you do as well, um, people coming into your clinics that have been given orthotics maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago, and mm -hmm. they're still using the same orthotics, and they've been using them for 15 years with no real clear understanding of why or what benefit they have, and if they should still be using them or if the issue's still there. Do you guys see that as well? Yes, all the time. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll often take them out of those, <laughs> yeah. just, just to see how just to see how they're currently coping, and usually it's usually it's okay. But uh, you see all sorts where they've they've got their old orthotics on top of uh, you know a, a shoe that's already got a anti pronation medial um, support in, so they're like they're actually walking in complete supination and never getting out of it. Um, but that's just it's never really been explained to them. Mm -hmm. And do you see yeah. that as well, Linda? Yes, occasionally, occasionally I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Johnny, you had a question for Keenan about orthotics didn't yeah yeah we, ne we nearly got there just at the end of what kieran was explaining with the plantar fasciitis but i was saying that quite a lot of times i'll get ultra runners in particular in the clinic and they've just got really problematic histories with what seems to them like plantar fasciitis and they're doing all the usual things that they do which is you know grinding their plantar fascia to dust of golf balls and mm -hmm. uh, taking a week off here and there and then getting back to it and not, nothing's resolving and it ends up we get a diagnosis of some sort of plantar plate disruption and um, yeah it, it, nobody then seems to know what to do with it at that point and mm -hmm. I think Kieran probably does so I'll maybe pass that over to him. <laughs> <laughs> the the plantar plate, uh, John. I don't know if you know, but over over the last couple of years, have you noticed that we're finding more of these plantar plate problems? It wasn't ever something that I heard when I was training. Yeah. We, we were never t taught about plantar plate problems. No, and, definitely. And the, the reason for that, I think, is the improvements that we've made in finding them. So I think um, it would have been put down as metatarsalgia or ball of foot pain, and that would have been as close mm -hmm. as anybody would have got. Would be that umbrella term to that for that condition. And I think the advances in medical imaging, more accessible MRI, even uh, ultrasound in the right hands, we can identify these problems um, quicker. So what we will do generally, we'll combine a taping technique to hold down. If that toe has retracted back, if that plantar plate's no longer holding the toe down and it's mm -hmm. elevated in that retracted position, we'll tape the toe uh, in a plantar direction just to to keep it nice and straight, so which is what the time. plantar plate would have mm -hmm. done, yeah. Point and nine. then we'll also recess the metatarsal head within an offloading pad. 
So we'll give them some form of arch support, but the arch support is only really there to carry the pad to the forefoot. Um, and the, the metatarsal head will sink within that well that we'll make, sort of a small dell in the, in the base of the insole. So mm -hmm. we're, we're kind of shortening the distance that the plantar plate would have to stretch. So in a sense, if we've got a plantar plate tear, we're trying to get the two ends to uh, come together as closely as we can through that uh, mechanical you know, offload. Uh, and then if it's not responding, then that's when we would introduce some of the pro-inflammatory treatments. So these tissues are so dry and so poorly um, vascularized that we have to try and sort of stimulate that blood flow to make this repair happen. And that's where things like the shockwave and things will come in. Totally counter to what we are used to doing in medicine, which is take anti-inflammatories because we think inflammation is mm -hmm. bad. And what we've come to learn over the last two or three years is that actually inflammation is a completely necessary part of healing. And if you're not moving forward, well then let's push you forward into inflammation and see can we get these tissues to kind of knit together. So that's, but the, the prescription is actually quite simple, but it's a mixture of a tape, taping technique and an offload of the affected metatarsal head. Oh, that's, that, that's great information, thanks, because mo most of my patients, they'll get online and they'll read that they've got no other option but surgery and then, you know, they, they get into a bit of a panic because they're, they're, they're quite addicted to the running, really, and that, that seems unthinkable. So it, it's good to know that I can send them to someone for that. <laughs> oh, thanks very much. I'll thank you later. <laughs> and then, but, but seriously, I mean, that, and that is where, like, actually doing your, your pre so actually thinking about your feet before all of this happens and starting to introduce little foot exercises and calf exercises is maybe what we need to be thinking to stop your ultra runners from having to come to your clinic in the first place. Is that right? Yeah. It'll be part of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Linda, I know you are passionate about your foot exercises. Yes. Yes, um, well, it does because a lot of people that I see um, have a real sort of weakness in their feet mm -hmm. and um, it's something that can be easily addressed. Easily um, and quickly? Not well, quickly. <laughs> Define quickly. These, these, these things can take a long time, especially when the bash is involved. That can take, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes up to a year to, to make to make uh, positive changes in the actual tissues there. So, yeah. Um, but it's all part of... It's just something that I find is neglected and um, it is such an important part of gait running. You know, we need we need a good, mobile, uh, strong, connected foot that's connected to the hip, like I say, and connected to, to the rest of the body. Um, yeah. and, and like I say, that's why I find them really important because most people need to do them yeah. or would benefit from doing them. And the thing is, I'll be honest, I hate feet. <laughs> I hate other people's feet and every time I have seen any of you I've always just had a, a huge amount of admiration for your ability to look at people's feet and not bulk. <laughs> <laughs> look the thing about the foot it goes it, it goes from what we would have term as a bag of bones <laughs> to a rigid lever in a fraction mm. of a second you imagine Maybe. trying to do that with your hand I mean it would just become so fatigued and that's why I think in these runners it's it's amazing if you think about every step that they take mm -hmm. throughout the course mm -hmm. of their life if your feet get a bit mangled by the time you're 40 or 50 they don't really owe you anything if you think about everything you've achieved every Monroe you've climbed every finish line you've crossed they you know if they get a bit gnarly towards the end of their <laughs> the end of their life then that's fair enough <laughs> 
Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, okay, so I am going to ask you all individually um, what you would like our listeners to take away from this conversation because, you know, biomechanics is a... Di- I think it's quite a difficult subject to cover um, because... You know, we all want to get faster, but we we want to do it really quickly, and we don't really want to have to think about anything hard to make that happen. <laughs> um, I, I certainly don't want to think about my feet, um, but I know that I have to. So, um, Linda, do you want to um, maybe have a stab at uh, telling our listeners um, what you would like them to take away from this podcast? What you think they should learn about biomechanics? Um. Well. Um. Do foot exercises, do yeah. some really good calf raises, see how many you can do on one leg. Yeah. Uh, really, you want to be able to do at least 20 really good solid calf raises if you want to run quite far. Yeah. Um, and do something different. You know, you, you're, your triathletes are doing swimming, running, cycling. That's a huge amount of um, movements. But I think maybe being really kind to your tissues and doing something like Pilates and yoga to complement that mm-hmm. so that you have that deeper foundation of movement available adaptability available so that you can do all those other things that you really love doing with ease and hopefully without any injury okay perfect right keelan you need to follow that yeah um (laughs) just sort of bullet point advice stay strong stay flexible and like you said, prehab your feet. Don't neglect them. There is a proximal chain effect there. So if there's a problem at the foot, there is every chance that at some stage it will start to impact on the joints further up your limb. So not to discount that if you're experiencing pain, sure, you might benefit from a biomechanical assessment. But like we said before, not everybody needs one. And if there's a symptom, I can help get to the bottom of the problem. And there are marginal gains to be, to be achieved through some gait rehab, gait retraining. But um, really, if we are using biomechanical assessments to assess the cause of pain, mm-hmm. then that, that's probably its most useful. Um, and, and certainly in this clinic, that's what we're trying to do. Cool. Thank you. And then, Johnny, finally, you get the last yeah, if you're, <laughs> Yeah, again. <laughs> no, if, if, you're, if you're a runner and you're suffering recurrent issues, you know, especially if they're on one side, Get, get it looked at you know identify what the problem is because that gives you every chance of rectifying it and if somebody gives you a good plan you know repetition facilitates skill and running is a skill so in all likelihood if you're running with more skill you're less likely to get injured and you're more likely to be quicker perfect thank you so and much kate yes go and see a clinician for a biomechanical assessment as well. I think that would be, I think we'd all appreciate if we could find a professional advice. (laughs) And that is why I invited you all on as well, because you are all professionals and um, there's too much, um, there's too much chatter and noise on the internet, I feel. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions on, especially online that are answered by uh, people who are not professionals. Um, And I, yeah, I, I certainly see it in all the running forums I'm on and, all the triathlon forums I'm on and uh, yeah definitely a much better idea to go and see an osteopath yeah, I, a podiatrist I, or a physio yeah. I've got no no particular axe to grind you can edit this out if you want if you go to a shoe shop for an assessment you're going to get a pair of shoes yes. <laughs> no matter what yeah that is very true <laughs> Um, okay thank you so much thank you guys I really really appreciate it I know it's late um, on a Thursday night um, I'm just going to 
uh, put a link to everybody's um, websites. Uh, Linda, I know you have moved from Bearsden to Aberfoyle now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I will make sure that that is on on um, the podcast notes um, and yeah, on our Facebook page as well. I'll put a link to everybody's Facebook pages so you can see them, you can follow up. Um, yeah, that was really interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. I know you're Thank all you. very passionate about the subject, and yeah, it all com- comes comes across well. So thank you so much. That was really interesting. Um, yeah, feel free to contact Kieran, Linda, or Johnny if you've got any questions or you want them to look at your feet. Do not contact me <laughs> if you want me to look at your feet because I will say no. <laughs> thank you so much for listening i hope you guys found that interesting um i know i've said it before and i'll say it again it's been a really weird year the podcast has not been what i'd planned (laughs) at all the quality the content (laughs) but i think um we've uh, managed to get something together that's hopefully very interesting for you at least even though there has not been really any races um so next month i really would like to talk a bit about um the dreaded C word Christmas uh, and things that have worked for you um, so it could be like your watches that you love or your wetsuit um, I really would love to talk about um, some of the local businesses that we have so maybe it's a massage from someone local or it's a bike fitting that you've had or a really good service in one of the shops would also be really helpful so please do send that in to me you can just send me like a whatsapp recording no one likes to hear their own voice but just skip that bit if you're listening to the podcast don't worry about it you can do a voice note on whatsapp and send it over or we can arrange a wee call so do get in contact with me and uh, yeah thanks so much for listening fingers crossed for 2021 eh? let's uh, <laughs> keep hoping that uh, we get back to some normality soon and thanks so much for listening